Hey, I'm Mackenzie Fagan, and this is 112BK coming to you from downtown Brooklyn. On the show today, we're joined by the co-founder of the New York chapter of Drag Queen Story Hour to talk about recent protests by concerned parents. Hold my wig. I think having a positive queer role model like a drag queen, you know, spreading literacy is way more amazing than some really misogynist, you know, say, fairy tale Disney character. And then the crew talks about racism, consequences, and the stupidity of 16-year-olds. We should, like, take a look at the larger issue at hand here. It's not just that these things are being regurgitated, but why why are 16-year-old boys like this? Yeah. Brothers Grimm, princesses and queens have featured prominently in children's stories. Just look at Disney, which has built an entire empire on the back of often problematic, traditionally gendered femininity. So it was with some confusion that we saw that our neighbors in Garretson Beach were protesting a children's story hour at the local branch of the Brooklyn Public Library, where volunteers in costume as queens read books to young children. And honestly, you guys, I'm not really sure why we're doing this segment. This seems a Oh, oh, it's drag queens. Oh, okay, now now I'm pissed. Everyone can go suck an egg. Here to talk me off a ledge is the co-founder of Drag Queen Story Hour, Jonathan Hamilt. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Um, so your critics say that you're indoctrinating children. Tell me, which one of the um, many drag queens who were visible and well-represented in the 90s uh, kidnapped you and indoctrinated you into the world of drag? Uh, I, I only wish that RuPaul would sweep me away to... <laughs> To Hollywood. Whenever there is a radical shift in society where femininity is challenged or met up with masculinity, you're going to have pushback from the conservative uh, people. So they're really mad. And unfortunately, that fear comes out in anger. So that's what we see every day. But we're fighting the good fight by reading, you know, books to kids every day. Yeah, let's back up a little bit. So tell me what is Drag Queen Story Hour? The name is pretty self-explanatory. But how did it come to be? Yeah, so Drag Queen Story Hour is exactly like it sounds. It's drag queens that read to kids in public schools and libraries, parks, community centers, basically anywhere where you can get kids and drag queens together, we read. It started in 2015 by writer Michelle T. Uh, she organized it at the Castro Library, and I saw one of the first readings, and I was like, this is amazing. I just started drag at the time, and I was like, we need to bring this to New York City. I met up with my co-founder now, Rachel Amy, who was working at Feminist Press um, with NYU, and we teamed together, and we were reading feminist fairy tales in Brooklyn, and that's how it started in New York City. So you yourself are a drag queen. Yes. What is your performer name? So my name is Ona Louise, which is also my mom's name. So what does your mom think? Uh, You know, does your mom know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. And my drag is modeled after her to an extent. So I guess she's one of my style icons. And for our podcast listeners who can't see you, you are not in drag currently. But can you describe your look as Ona Louise? I would say slim errands, 1960s, bewitched, kind of that look. So, Well, that sounds very fabulous and aspirational. Yes. Um, what type of stories do you read when you, as Ona Louise, and your other queens right. go into libraries? Yeah, I mean, we read all kinds of books. So we go from the classics like Hungry, Hungry Caterpillar or Brown Bear, Brown Bear, or we read books about feeling different or how to be inclusive and celebrate diversity. So we read Neither by Airlie Anderson or one of our favorite books, uh, Julian is a Mermaid by Jessica Love. 
So yeah, we read all different kinds of stories. And so some of these stories might celebrate gender diversity mm-hmm. or uh, put forward the idea that gender is not a binary. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, we want kids to you know imagine a world where they can represent as they wish. So we want to make sure that the costume closet is open with all options for kids. And you know, it's play and dress up and freedom to express and be who you are. And sometimes people get upset about this. For example, Garrison Beach, as we mentioned, um, there were pretty hate-filled flyers going up. And and even people who are more temperate in their criticism were saying that they didn't want young children exposed to the idea of gender fluidity or gender as not a binary. Mm -hmm. What do you say to people like that? I mean, kids are exposed to gender every day, either by watching TV or on their iPads, walking down the streets. You see... Uh, reinforced gender roles happen in front of you at school, on the subway, wherever you go. Uh, I think people are really scared and confused with the freedom of gender expression. And we're so ingrained with gender roles that it's hard to get outside of the box of that. And people really confuse gender and sexuality, um, which are two very separate things that people like to cross over or mix up terminology. And uh, that scares people when they, you know, don't do the research or know what's going on. Right. I mean, to me, so many of the arguments for people were like, whoa, 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 I'm not transphobic. I just don't think that my four-year-old should be exposed to a man in drag is like, well, that is inherently transphobic because why not? What is threatening to you about um, gender diversity, about men choosing to wear women's clothing or about or about a trans woman? And another question I have is if if instead of a drag queen, it were a trans woman reading a book to kids, I wonder if some of that language would have been more obviously transphobic. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that like because many drag queens are cis men wearing makeup and women's clothing, that people can get away with like tiptoeing this line of like, oh, I'm not transphobic though? Well, I you know I guess traditionally a definition of drag would be a cis man dressing up as a woman. Um, But for our story hour, we have lots of different drag queens that range from trans men or trans women or non-binary people. We have like a genderqueer trans woman who does drag as one of our readers. So there's a lot of crossover. And we explain drag to kids as a character um, you make up that is fabulous. And a drag queen is a character you create up to embody um, a feminine side of you. So drag can be on top of anyone who's trans or not. So uh, all the lines are kind of blurred, but the kids are all down for it. They kind of get it. It's more of the adults that can't understand it or don't want to be open to it. Yeah, what is the response of kids who participate? I mean, they love it. I mean, they love the bright colors, the big wigs, the sequins, the drama, the flair, the theatrics of all the drag queens. Uh, They ask really funny questions like, is that your real hair? Is that your real name? Are those real nails? Did your parents name you that? Like, so they're down for it and they know it's fun and it's dress up. So I think having a positive queer role model like a drag queen, you know, spreading literacy is way more amazing than some really misogynist, you know, say fairy tale Disney character. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the role of misogyny because I think that the idea that dress up is okay, except if my son wants to dress up as a girl, is part of this larger discussion, right? Like it also seems to me that if you had a masculine of center woman 
going in with like a butch haircut and no makeup reading to kids, you wouldn't have this type of backlash. Yeah, I mean, the hatred for women runs really deep, to be quite honest, and that can trickle down to even boys showing um, an effeminate side. So it's really sad to see that. And with Story Hour, we like to have a leveled playing field where anybody can express who they want in a very safe space. Um, I see from your shirt that you are celebrating 50 years since Stonewall. Yes. Um, so what do you think Marsha P. Johnson, for example, would think about the Drag Queen Story Hour? Oh, my God. I feel like she would love it, and we would be having her read at DragCon this year. I think she'd be obsessed and really excited. And the rights and things she was fighting for, I wonder if anyone could see how far we've come in society because things have changed so much and the struggle is still there but now it's moved on past these generations and the community has grown and now drag queens are you know leaving the nightlife and coming into the light in the communities and giving back in this way yeah i mean i think that that's the other flip side right um on the one hand you have kids who are getting to be exposed to gender diversity and you know being as fabulous as you want to be and you also have drag queens who are normalized and get to come into family spaces into public institutions like the library um and and you know give back to the community that too seems pretty radical yeah and we have a lot of repeats uh participants and kids who come to story hour and we always ask the question like you know does anyone know what a drag queen is and a lot of the kids now are like yeah drag queens are uh people that dress up and read to kids that's their definition and <laughs> even my co-founders kids are like drag queens are for babies they're for little kids they're not for me i'm i'm nine now like so i just love that reframework of that's what a drag queen is to kids that's very funny yeah. um there was one piece of conservative criticism that I read by a self-identified cis gay man who said that drag queens are inherently sexual and that therefore it was inappropriate to bring them into this library space. What would you say to that? I mean, you know, drag plays itself in very different ways and it can be sexual like anything else can. And, you know, um, all adults have their own adult lives and are allowed to lead those lives. But when we go into a space and do a children's program, we follow all the rules and guidelines that you would for any story hour. Um, you and I are dressed appropriately for this interview. Why, thank um, you. Catch us, catch us on a Friday night, you know, for Pride, we might look a little different. So when we read, uh, all of our drag queens um, come prepared and we're kid friendly and we cover, friend, you know, kid topics. We read children's books. We sing children's songs. We do children's crafts. And... Yeah, it's much different than being in a nightclub. So any other any other closing thoughts for Pride? Are there specific children's books that you might recommend to people as they're looking for um, Pride-associated content? Yeah, we read this great book called This Day in June, which is just about the Pride Parade. It rhymes. It's really cute. So we've been trying to read that book every day this month. And any Todd Parr book is amazing for Pride. And if people want to participate either by bringing their kid to a Drag Queen Story Hour or if they're a queen and they want to get involved, um, how should they do that? Do you guys have your own like RuPaul's Drag Race, drag race but like for queens who want to be um, <laughs> a storyteller? Sort of. We, we hope for more inclusive than RuPaul. But uh, yeah, check out our website. Our Facebook page has all of our events nationally so you can find your area where you're at, where your next reading will be. And you can, you know, email the correct, the correct contact on our website to get involved, either storytelling, organizing, donating your time, money, or space. And actually, just a personal question maybe to close out. Um, so you are the co-founder of the New York chapter. Mm -hmm. 
what drew you to this? Do you work with kids outside of this? Why did you think it was important um, to do this work with with the younger set? I mean, if I grew up in the South, and I feel like if I had some positive role model that was queer, like a drag queen reading to me during story hour, it would have changed my life completely. Like, I grew up in a very conservative Southern town, um, told my whole life that, you know, I couldn't be feminine or show my feminine side. And then imagine if I had that um, encouragement and that person to be like, you know, hey, it's okay to express yourself and be who you are. I don't, well, like, where would I be now if I'm doing <laughs> story hour? Now I don't know who I would be if I had that um, encouragement as a kid. And I saw on your website or in an interview that you did that actually some of the best attended drag queen story hours are in rural communities or small towns um, where you aren't able to see gender diversity as easily as you might be in New York City. Right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in New York, we live in such a bubble. We're kind of like in the capital of the Hunger Games or something. It's just (laughs) very different than the rest of the world or the country. So in these rural areas, people come miles and miles, like 10, 15, 20, 30, 100 miles away to come to these one readings and support for either a counter protest or to bring their kids a story hour. So it's a really loving, you know, community that draws in a lot of people from far away. And what was the incident at Garrison Beach like, by the way? So we saw these hateful flyers up promising a protest. What actually happened on the day of? Well, there actually was a protest, the megaphones and, you know, the the signs and everything. But the counter protest was a lot bigger than the actual protest. And we had a great reading and a lot of love and support from all of our allies. So that's great to hear. Yeah. Um, Jonathan, thank you so much thank for joining you. us. Happy Pride. Yeah. And we are back with the crew. I am Mackenzie Fagan, host of 112BK, and I am joined today by... Uh, I'm Mira. I am the editor for the show. And I'm Shireen Barry, and I'm one of the producers of the show. We have a special Slim Down the Crew today, you guys. We're going to be talking about Kyle Kashev. This is the uh, Parkland High student who's offer to Harvard was just rescinded because he said some very racist shit. Right, I heard about that. Um, so apparently he got accepted into Harvard, and we should note that he's like a conservative student, right? So post-shootings, he was still pro-gun rights, and he was like, the shootings could have been prevented if the teachers were armed. So he's sort of this like conservative poster boy, got into Harvard, and then a former friend of his surfaced some racist comments, I guess, that he made in like a shared Google mm. Doc study sheet. He used the N-word a bunch of times. He said, kill all the fucking Jews. And his response is, I bore no racial animus. The context was a group of adolescents trying to use the worst words and say the most insane things imaginable. Harvard didn't buy it, and they rescinded his offer. Um, What do you guys think about this? He was 16 when he wrote these things. We all do stupid shit when we're 16. What do you think about a 16-year-old being held responsible for using racial slurs? 16-year-old boys are the fucking worst. They are. That is correct. They just say the most inflammatory shit for the sake of saying inflammatory shit. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I remember, like, boys in my class, like, using the N-word. White people using the N-word, like, like, I'm not excusing them. I'm just saying it's like, it, 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 we should, like, take a look at the larger issue at hand here. It's not just that these things are being regurgitated, but why, why are 16-year-old boys like this? Yeah, I think that's, like, a valid point is that, like, 
point one is no one is surprised. 100%. I remember my friends when they were 16 saying things for shock value mm. that maybe they didn't believe. I don't know if Kyle Kashev believes that all of the fucking Jews should die, but he said it. He's Jewish. Does that complicate things for you a little bit? I mean, I mean, again, I don't know. He says that he bore no racial animus. I am inclined to believe that you can say something racist without right. bearing racial animus. True. But the point that we want to talk about is, does Harvard then um, accept that explanation and still accept him? What do you think, Shereen? I think like well a lot well when he publicized this whole thing he also pointed to Harvard's own very racist past and there's there are many students of color who can attest to this who can who can talk about their experiences with racism in right. Harvard founded by slave owners founded by slave owners mm-hmm. and you know um, so that brings up the question that how come Harvard like at what point what do you have to do to redeem yourself you know um, Harvard everyone seemed to like forgive then still it's like this elite institution that everyone's dying to get into and yet like here's a guy who experienced something really traumatizing and he says that he's a changed person and he apologized profusely for what he said so I just want to and then Harvard's uh, response was like was like it doesn't seem like you've redeemed yourself so I'm like yes being 16 isn't like isn't that young to be saying like um, stuff like kill all the Jews or like the n-word but at the same time, I'm just like wondering what, like, who gave, like, what kind of moral authority does Harvard have to basically determine whether a person has redeemed themselves or not? I mean, it may not, not, but do you think that it's a false equivalency to compare an institution with a human being? I mean, I guess that's like saying that Germany shouldn't sit on human rights councils because of World War II and the Nazis. But like mm. saying that institutions can't evolve, or I don't know, having but, that equivalency of humans and like a, a non sentient organization. Yeah. But humans seems- make up that non sentient organization, no? I guess one other thing that I'll say about this is that this bears echoes of the whole affirmative action Mm. debate, right? Where it's like people are like, well, I'm specifically thinking about the lawsuit that the Chinese American students um, took against Harvard saying that they should have been allowed in because they had high test scores and like did everything right, basically. Mm. And it's like, uh, how are you under the illusion that college admissions is some like objective set of criteria? It's always been unfair. It always will be unfair. If you're a legacy student, you're going to get in. You know, Mm. it, it, it favors it favors certain people. And there is some formula, some unfair formula that is applied by admissions people. Mm-hmm. And so you attend Harvard at their discretion. You yeah. serve yeah. at their pleasure. Right. So I guess the idea that anyone deserves to go to Harvard uh, or like that it's unfair is like no shit it's unfair. Okay, my concern is you're going to call this person out. You're going to call Kyle out and he's going to grow up and he's going to come he's going to become a bitter exactly. man, a bitter yeah. white Republican, probably more than like extremely conservative man. And like, do we need you're just going to alienate him and you're just going to make him mad. And I'm not saying you have to like appease him and just let him in. But he's going to get called out anyways once he gets to college. But is there a chance that this is a moment of transformation for him? I don't know. Maybe this is extreme. No, absolutely not. You don't think that this is maybe the the only way that he learns his lesson? He's going to feel vindicated. He's going to feel vindicated. He's going to feel even more like, angry. But what's yeah. the alternative? You tell a 16-year-old kid it's fine to say the M-word. You know, what Harvard basically said was, you know, we're not going to comment on this case, but we do rescind in cases where the moral character mm. and judgment of students is called into question. And I guess what message does it send if you are a black student who got into Harvard and Harvard, like, 
I don't know, Harvard bought it. Harvard said, mm-hmm. it's okay, we're going to excuse your behavior when you were 16. I- I'm not without empathy for him because, like, yeah. I was a stupid 16-year-old who did stupid yeah. things. Right. I was just fortunate enough to live in a pre-digital era where I didn't ruin the rest of my life. I Blessed. just, like, ruined my parents' <laughs> life for a year. You know what I mean? I've actually taken it upon myself in the last, like, two years to to, to thoroughly, like, disengage myself from a lot of these platforms. So I no longer have a Facebook um, I have like a Finsta, my Twitter. I'm trying to be so much more conscientious about how mm-hmm. I use it because no, I, I, I've become like really acutely aware of like how this can appear to maybe future employers or like, yeah, potential, potential employers. Um, I've known people to have like job opportunities rescinded for them because of shit they said on the internet. Right. Like now. Absolutely. It's, I mean, it's scary. My, my issue with what I've said in the past that I've had to take down isn't because it's racist. It's just because it's like reflective of me at a time that. Like, okay, when the whole Brett Kavanaugh thing happened, I remember I was being really, I was really, I was obviously really upset. And I said some extremely inflammatory things on Twitter. And I looked back like two weeks later, I was like, I can't say this shit. Like, no one's going to fucking hire me if they see this. Okay, well, I think that there's a difference between inflammatory and racist. And maybe that's what brings us back to Kyle, right? Is that you may express something that is a more extreme version of what you currently think. But if you are on record as saying the N-word, I don't know. Like, that to me... Yeah, that's, that's like you a don't big go to Harvard. No, no. I don't know. Let him take some time and off. He's 16. Let him like he's not like a kid. You know? He's not 16. He's but, like 18 now. I guess he's the 18, other, but he was 16. He was 18. When he was, that's he right. Yeah. But the other thing that I want to ask you, Shireen, is you know, on the flip side, as progressives, we're like, what's up with all these 16 year olds who commit tr- crimes being tried as adults, right? We yeah, see this a lot true. with like young men of color exactly. who are brought in for, you know, a robbery or whatever. And it's like, oh, we're going to throw the book at them. They're 16. They're old enough to stand trial. So, like, what do you think about, like, what is the age of responsibility as an adult? You know, it's funny. Um, I was, like, thinking that a few, I want to say months ago, when all those, like, news about the brides of ISIS, like, all, all these, like, women who uh, were married to ISIS soldiers and they... Um, they married ISIS fighters. At 16. Exactly. At, for example. At, like, yeah, by yeah. choice. Yeah. At 15. Some of them were, like, 14. Really young who's women. Just, like, yeah, yeah, who left... And then, um, you know, and, you know, they they got their citizenships revoked and they were just like, you know, we were kids. Now they're rotting away in Iraqi prisons. And, and, you know, they're like trying to get back to like, for instance, the UK, the case that I'm talking about, it's it's involves a British girl like she's. I want to say like 20 now, 21 Mm -hmm. now. um, And she has a baby and she's like, you know, like I was stupid. But at the same, you know, so I was like thinking about that. And honestly, I have no. Um, response like I have no answer for okay, it. Okay, I can. Okay, I have an answer for it. Shireen, I think your story, the story that you bring up about this British ISIS bride who was like 16 when she left, is is really is a really good analogy for this Kyle story. I after like reading as much as I could about it, like I I really decided that she should be brought back in. Like she should be forgiven. She has a baby. The baby didn't do anything wrong. And it was fucked. Like okay, I'm not saying she should have gone to Iraq to go marry an Islamic State fighter. I think that's fucked. Okay, and but it's like, what are you gonna do? Just leave her out there? And so, if I can forgive her, can I forgive him? I don't know. I think but maybe we can forgive him. But like, we're not talking about citizenship. We're talking about right. Harvard, like the okay, ultimate privilege of privilege. You know what I mean? Right. So, like, yes, can he crawl his way back into society? Absolutely. But does he deserve a place at the most selective school in the United States? A place that could go to a student of color or somebody who just has never called someone the N word? Yeah, but. <laughs> I'm asking you this, Mackenzie. Ask just me, imagine, Shereen. just imagine <laughs> Kyle. Yes. Okay? okay, a Harvard like you too, Mira. Yeah. Okay. Imagine a Harvard <laughs> graduated Kyle, and uh, like a 
I don't know, like rejected Kyle. Which one of those Kyles do you think would be a better human being? I don't give a shit about Kyle. <laughs> I mean, maybe, yes, maybe he'll be exposed to like progressive thinkers and he'll exit Harvard, I don't know, a, a liberal. But maybe not. Maybe he'll just be like another Harvard douchebag who goes to work on Wall Street. I don't know. I mm. honestly don't care that much about him. I think that like he should, there are consequences for his actions. They're harsh. They're hard. I hope he learns a lesson. And I hope that every other young man learns a lesson, too. Or woman. I think that's well said, Mackenzie. Don't call people the N-word. Yeah, bottom line. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. I'll wrap up by saying that I'm very, very thankful that uh, the Internet did not exist in the form that it currently does when I was 16. I do have empathy for Kyle. I also think I also think that these ISIS teen brides should be allowed back in, but there are like there are degrees, right? There are degrees. There are degrees. Of, it's not the same situation, but it's still like actions. stupid things you do when you're 16 mm-hmm. or like. All right, let's close out with the stupidest thing that we did when we were 16. <laughs> I'll start. I was uh, dating a 21 year old deadbeat who played a lot of video games in his parents' house where he lived. So really glad I don't have lifelong consequences for that. Oh Could have married God. that guy if right. I were a teen ISIS bride. That would suck. <laughs> oh my God. Um, okay. Okay. Probably the stupidest. Shit I did was like smoke weed for the first time and throw up all over my best friend. I mean, that's some dumb shit. Wow. I tried to pierce my own ears <laughs> and it got affected. Thank I should have known honesty. better. Yeah. Alright, that concludes this episode of the Crew Teen Confessional. Thank you guys as always. Thanks for having us. And that's the show for today. If you liked what you heard, the best way to show it is to tell a protester to sashay away. Or you could review 112BK on iTunes and please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. 112BK is hosted by me, Mackenzie Fagan. It is series produced by Ross Tuttle, also produced by Fred Brown, Shereen Bargi, Isabel Alcantara, Naeem Van, and Emily Bogosian. It is recorded in studio by Clinton Filson Jr., Eric Hogseg, and Antonio M. Rosario. It is post-produced by Alexander Pointzolo, edited by Mira Al-Rahim, and executive produced by Jonathan Leaf, Sasha Mathias, and Aziz Aisham. 